0: Welcome to the Coffee and Technology Podcast, brought to you by Cropster. Today, we have with us Connie Blumhardt, who is the founder and publisher of the award-winning Roast Magazine. Connie has spent over 30 years in magazine publishing and has worked for the coffee industry for the past 25 years. She possesses a wealth of knowledge regarding magazine publishing, marketing, design, and photography. And on a daily basis, Connie serves thousands of roasters, creating an amazing bird's-eye view of the roasting community. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show, Connie. It's nice to have you here. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you started in the coffee industry? Of
1: course. Uh, Thank you so much for having me as a guest. It's an honor to be here. I'm the publisher and founder of Roast Magazine which will be 20 years next year, Mm -hmm. 20 years old. Before I started Roast, I actually worked for another coffee magazine called Fresh Cup for six years. So I've been in the coffee industry for quite some time. And I left Fresh Cup, didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was just sort of the beginning of the emerging roasting scene. The Roasters Guild had had their first meeting. And it just seemed like this was an area where the coffee industry needed some more support as an education tool and it turned out to be perfect timing. We started the magazine in 2004 and we've just grown from the magazine to we have daily coffee news. We of course have our social media, we have our own event called Roast Summit and you know, I just feel honored every day to be in this community and work with the amazing roasting community.
2: This is very cool, Connie. I mean, I remember those days <laughs> uh, when uh, the Rosa Skiltus was uh, formed. I was not part of it initially, but uh, 2004 is when I started the research project where Jeff Watts was involved. And then I remember him coming back from those, those meetings and being excited about uh, yeah, that those really new platforms uh, for education. So that's 20 years. It's a long time. A lot has, has happened and changed. Would you want to dig into that a little bit? If you, if you think back, what was your initial motivation to, to, to get Rose to Rose to magazine um, off the ground? How was, how was that experience?
1: Well, because I had already worked in the industry for a few years, and I knew I didn't want to leave it. I loved the coffee industry. And mm-hmm. back then and still today, my favorite part about this industry is the people. And so I knew I didn't want to leave coffee and I love the magazine uh, business. So it it just seemed like a natural kind of path for me to take. However, I was not at that time an entrepreneurial type person. So for me to decide that I was going to take this big step and start my own magazine was really, really big. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember a very distinct conversation with Mike Ferguson, who now is at Cavoya. And he said to me, what will your title be? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, well, you have to be the publisher. I'm like, I have to be the publisher? What? (laughs) Um, So it was kind of a, you know, there were so many people that were so supportive of what I was doing. And the reality is that I knew the nuts and bolts, right? I knew how to do a magazine. I knew how to put the pieces together. And so that part of it was really easy. And I was fortunate enough to run into one of my past Fresh Cup co-workers, his name is Jeremy Laff, and he is still to this day our art director. Mm-hmm. And when we ran into each other, we were at a wedding of another old Fresh Cup staffer. And he said, look at all this talent around. We should start our own magazine. Little did he know, I had already like had the business plan and was going forward with Roast. And the next, the very next day, I called him and I was like, what would you think about coming to work on Roast? And he was like, done and he's we still work together today wow and i i have to give our amazing team the credit they deserve because of course i don't do this by myself um and i have jeremy and i have our circulation manager has worked with us since the first year too
2: that's amazing that's
1: it is amazing and uh, i feel just blessed they're everyone our team is just amazing I'm, i feel so lucky but back to the history <laughs> of of roast um <clears throat> you know, and the very first issue was really hard. You know, I, it wasn't hard to put together, but it was hard to like put it out there and get the reaction from people. But once it was released, people were like, Oh yeah, this is really cool. And then from that very first issue, it was pretty clear that it was going to work. We had the advertising support to pay for it all. And just the general community support was amazing. And, you know, we just took it and ran. We've, always said that we never needed to be the biggest trade magazine, but we wanted to be the best. And mm-hmm. I still feel like we're still pumping out this high quality editorial that attracts our readers and you know helps us um, with our positioning in the industry as a leader and as an educator. And then to answer your question about how the industry has changed, it has mm-hmm. changed so much. <laughs> and in some ways it's changed a lot. And in some other ways, it hasn't changed much at all. For me personally, the thing that's changed the most is we used to be able to go to events in the US and you would know everybody in the room, like Mm -hmm. without question. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, over time, it's just grown so much. And so, you know, I no longer can go to an event and say, oh, I know everyone here, almost everyone here. And that's been a fun Thing, but also, you know, it sometimes is a little bit sad because it used to feel so small and such like a, a group in a club where now it just feels like this very big group of people that not everybody is, you know, cohesive and supporting everybody and being part of, you know, the same community. The other part of that is how much the industry has grown worldwide. Like, I don't remember starting in coffee. I don't really remember talking about Asia at all. <laughs> right? And yeah. now, you know, people yeah. are like that's our biggest area of growth for everybody, I think. So, for me, that's, you know, what how I've seen things change. Um Norbert, how have you seen things change?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Changing <laughs> the tides.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Well, um I mean, I relate to that uh quite a bit where it was definitely smaller, it was more intimate it was a little bit more an, an insiders club if you wanted to say so from a, a critical perspective but it was also nice because it was a little bit uh easier to to communicate you would uh, would would know quicker what's going on the the shift uh, through the uh, through the regions i would say also has happened the us was definitely the epicenter in the beginning and then it's kind of swapped over to Europe and it's still, it's still going on. Uh, now being more here, I see that a little bit closer. And, uh, and then of course, the, like the Asia opening in a way uh, of course also happened over time um, and, and it's in full swing. So lots more is happening. Uh, and then, and then we, yeah, we, we also see like new um, horizons almost, Every three to five years, Middle East is uh, pretty strong, actually, also um, a shift towards not on, I mean, coffee was always there, but the shift to specialty coffee, and I think that makes the big difference. In Asia, it is the shift to coffee, from tea to coffee, so that that is, a, that is the fundamental, I would say, almost a paradigm shift, and then from there into specialty. And in 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 of course other coffee drinking countries, it is then really how specialty can um, is perceived, valued, and how it can can grow. That I've seen, and then well, from a like technology perspective, of course, I also wanted to talk to you about uh, that a little bit because that's what we do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've seen a lot changing there. I think. Uh, Roasting coffee is now a little bit more than just making a green bean brown, um, and that has, of course, a lot to do with the specialty scene. But I think it also linked back to commercial. So it's commercial was always controlling a little bit more. So their parameters were always, I think, um, kind of in a uh, very well measured uh, on a more general scale. But it also informs them. It's like, well, we could actually push a little bit more. We could actually actually do a little bit more. And, and there, I don't know, we've we seen new new machine, roasting machines, of course, out there, and all kinds of measurement devices and everything, uh, internet connected. What's, what's your take, Connie? Is that a good thing?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, technology mostly is always a good thing. I'm not so sure about AI these days, but that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah, I mean, I think that the technology part has changed. I mean, 360 degrees. It's been amazing. And I think with the introduction of Cropster that that's set the stage, I think. And I think I've told Norbert the story before, but when we started the Roaster of the Year competition in 2004, you know, we always had the question about roasting technology, I think. And people would put, you know, what kind of roaster they had or whatever. But I want to say, what year did you start, Norbert? Uh,
2: Cropster, 2007. And before that, coffee projects in Colombia since 2004, 2003.
1: It must have been around 2008 or nine mm-hmm. when we started seeing on the Roaster of the Year applications that part of their technology package was Cropster.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... <laughs> Now it feels like that's the baseline. And it's it's interesting to see, like to measure the roaster of the year applications and how those types of things measure up. And now, like I said, now Cropster or some other type of um, mm-hmm. software is, you know, baseline. Everyone has to have that now.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we see that for, for sure. Like, that was, yeah, this was interesting, right? When you started, software wasn't, there for most no. people for almost mm-hmm. nobody um and, and credits to those who <clears throat> made their own because there were a few ones out there they think knew how to program yeah. and tinker right and that, that was like oh uh, a very mm-hmm. special thing and then became more um more widespread and understood and we were part of that of course to have those discussions why is this important and sometimes the why is really hard to explain. I don't know how you feel. I mean, I see that when I try something new. So when, when I read about something new, it's like, yeah, that's that's in my head. And then I try and then either it's like, yeah, this is great. Or I like it or I can see the potential. Or it's just like, mm, meh, tried it, but not so much.
1: Yeah. Did you have, I'm guessing that you had some of that when you started. People are like, why do I need that?
2: Yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, we had that, so that, and that's why I always ask the people to their, you know, leap of faith, almost. Please try it out and see for yourself, because that was really the best argument. They then suddenly understood that whatever they had in their head would come together uh, in on a screen, and it's like, oh, I don't, ah, oh, I don't have to count seconds anymore. I don't have to. Even if they would do manual roast logging and uh, manual note taking, like oh, it's now all there, and I can shift my focus into something else. I think that's the real shift. Uh, what what technology brought to to the people. And with that, of course, we. I mean, the roses of the years is very interesting. So you saw that on the applications. Yeah. Um, do you think like has. Talk a little bit about quality, coffee quality. (laughs) That's what
0: I was wondering, too. Did it change with adoption of technology?
1: Hmm. I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. That's just like off the cuff, not looking back at the actual cupping scores from the competition. If we're we're just measuring Roaster of the Year, I would say the answer is probably no. Because Mm -hmm. there were people that were roasting coffee before Cropster that could still Mm -hmm. roast coffee. Right, so the scores didn't ne- necessarily change, mm-hmm. but probably I'm sure other things in their roasting capacity did. Right, of yeah. course,
2: hundred percent. I mean, we um, there's so many people out there who who really know how to roast, and they can roast with or without technology as long as they have a machine which is fairly controllable or they have enough time on the machine to understand that machine. And I think those are elements we have. Or technology can help with, so they can understand the machine quicker. That is very helpful for competitions where not everybody has that type of machine in their in their in their setup. But now they have an interface into that machine, which gives them more information, so they can be adapting their knowledge, their roles knowledge uh, deeper. So for that, for example, is I feel technology can 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 help. It's, it's a tool. Hundred percent. It's not a um, taking taking skills away uh, or or eliminating. So what you did before is not is not valid anymore. Because I don't I don't think so. And I think since you brought the AI topic, I cannot help. We we have to talk about this (laughs) (laughs) AI or what we call AI currently. Basically, the text based uh, interfaces. Well, they rely on text which was written before. <clears throat> it relies on content which was already there. And based on that, it can create something new, but only through certain patterns. So if whatever is there in the past is bad, then new thing will not be groundbreakingly better. That's at least my perspective. But you said... You're not sure about the technology, and I want to know why and what's your either concerns or where you think things might go wrong.
1: Well, there's a couple things, and I'm I'm sort of dead serious about this. Mm-hmm. Hasn't anyone seen Terminator? Hello? <laughs> like, someday <laughs> these computers are just going to take over the, the world. I'm saying, I'm just saying. You can quote me later, but no, just kidding. You know, I worry mostly about young people in terms of, you know, young people are one – you know, the people who know most about technology these days, I feel. Mm-hmm. And then two, you know, if they're relying so heavily on this technology, how are they ever going to learn to write? Mm-hmm. You know, it's going And it's going to be, the lines are very hard to determine, you know, what's AI and what's not written AI. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think from a, you know, an editorial standpoint, mm-hmm. it gets tricky. Like I just saw, uh, I just saw something recently about, submitting content and you had to like prove that it wasn't AI and I was like I guess that's going to happen right we're going to have to you know walk very lightly in how we use AI I don't know it it, I think it's really strange as a publisher
0: are you concerned about the AI that scrapes and gathers information from the internet using roast um, information or do you think it'll help with sales Because people will be like, oh, some of this information came from Roast. I
1: should be my member. I mean, I don't think so. For now, I don't think it's ever going to be able to, you know, to provide the educational tool that that an educator or someone in the industry can provide, right? It it can only go so far. And then it's going to be wrong. And then it will lose its credibility, I think. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, we don't worry about AI here. But... I mean, maybe we should,
2: I don't know. And I mean you should always worry about uh new things, but not in a in a negative way.
1: Right, right, right. And that's what I mean. We talk about it, but
2: Exactly. And that's what I also hear from you. So it's there's 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 always the unknown always might inspire a little bit of fear or a little bit of um anxiety. That's not that great, of course. But let's, if you can put that aside and really see, like, what are the real risks there? And I can see them. I can see them everywhere. I can see. I can yeah. see them uh, with basically. Well, yeah. education is important, right? We always go back to that. If you look at the roasters, if um, they, they need to learn the basics of thermodynamics in uh, in an in a closed environment where the coffee beans ultimately go in. They need to understand a little bit of of, of the chemistry in the bean. They need to so just for the for the roasting process, basically they need to understand the process. And for that it's also very helpful to understand a little bit the origin. How is the how is the, how does the coffee bean come about? It it's not just arriving at our doorsteps because an importer said so, there's much more which happens before. So and I think that's that to me is 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 exciting to learn, and that's the one that's the education I feel young people deserve and should go through, and then they can judge, they make their own judgments, because yeah. it's also in the in the like roaster skilled or in the coffee community in the roasting community, there's different opinions.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, and but you know. Who wrote it, you know potentially a certain context and you could always and that, that is the nice thing in the coffee industry I think that I want to relate to that community you can send that person a note, a text or potentially meet that person at a toy show and confront them with your own thoughts and it usually ends in a in an interesting conversation yeah for sure so where do you how do you decide on on the content for rows? Because that's that's the critical anchor point to you know stay relevant, cater to different audiences, uh, schools, if you want so.
1: Yeah, first, I mean all of those, all of the above. <laughs> um, we basically when we're looking at our calendar, which we usually build in June the the year before. Mm-hmm. So it like this June, we'll start building for twenty twenty five. We take a look at what we've covered in the past and we also look at the industry by segments. So roasting, green coffee, brewing, uh, science. um, I don't know what all the topics are. All the Mm -hmm. segments are off the top of my head, but we basically look at it by segments and try to balance our, our editorial calendar, making sure that we, address each segment of our industry sometime throughout the year with roasting and science being, you know, number one, almost every issue, we try to have a roasting science article in the magazine. And then we have people that come to us throughout the year that are working on a project, or, you know, they've traveled somewhere that they want to report on a specific origin and what's happening there. And so we incorporate those articles as they come in. But we really you know we really are very picky about what goes into the magazine, obviously, for obvious reasons. You know it's the it's the base of what we do. so it's uh, it's always going to be something that we take a lot of time in selecting and curating and implementing that high quality into every issue that we put produce.
2: and I think that's the key maybe or maybe the answer a little bit to that AI question. Like can roast magazine mm. be created by AI? And not really, if you want no. to be as as critical and as 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 targeted, then uh, that that might not be possible. Right. And we we're we in the same we in the same age group potentially. So, <laughs> so some some uh, especially social media platforms, I feel like there's a lot of content, but there's no depth, uh, and there's no like. What, It's it's noise in, yeah. People might hate me for this, but I (laughs) I sometimes feel uh, (laughs) there's a lot of noise out there, and there is. And that that makes it so hard to boil down. So I don't need an AI to create more noise.
1: No, and I'll just since you brought up the social (laughs) side of everything, Mm -hmm. and, and maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm not really paying that much attention, but I feel like, you know, maybe five years ago there was just. All this noise on social media all the time, and it was just deafening to me. And it kind of always sort of came from the same people, too. And Mm -hmm. it was negative, and I just was not about it. But I feel like today, when I look at social media broadly, it feels a little bit better to me in the coffee industry. And maybe I'm Mm -hmm. not following it as close as I should, but I'm feeling like it doesn't feel as negative as it did five years ago. Hopefully those people that were so negative like, got really busy like the rest of us and don't have time to like create all this negative noise. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. And they can probably be really mad at me, but I don't care.
2: Or uh, the the algorithm finally learned that you're more about positive stuff and you you got oh, bumped, don't tell me bumped that. Into, no. a, into a better bubble.
1: <laughs> no, I wanted to be in my bubble. Come on, I want to believe that... You know, the coffee industry is about supporting each other rather than like, tearing everybody down all the time.
2: <laughs> that uh, that I generally uh, would agree. Um, there's there's I would there's always examples where that might not there be the case. There is always. But I still think, and I truly believe that the coffee industry is a very nice industry compared to many other industries. So it's, I completely agree. It is. I don't know. Whenever I talk about. It's it's amazing. A lot of really interesting things happen when you bring up coffee. Um, I just recently went uh, to do my move to Austria. I I had to register, so I went to the government and to a government office. And the first interaction was very, you know, government-like. Um, for some for some people, the word the word DMV might uh, pop up in their head. So then <laughs> now you have now you have a reference. Um, people just doing you know processes and doing the thing uh, but not much personal interaction and that also shouldn't really maybe be there and then at some point the question popped up it's like what are you doing why are you here I was like yeah no we coffee da 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 and that changed the conversation that changed everything suddenly it's like you know I have at home I have this espresso machine and da 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 those are the moments in my opinion Mm -hmm. that's the industry that's part of it because because a lot of people get really excited about the product we are linked to
1: they do yeah and when i try to tell people what i do i have Mm -hmm. the same the same thing they're like you do what and they they you know they first envision like a little newsletter or something and then i show them a copy of the magazine they're like this is a real magazine i'm like yep it's a real industry
2: (laughs) yes it is really nice by the way <laughs> thank you and it, it's one of those things you want to keep on your shelf, as you have and it's yeah it's good quality inside out right and, and that's all i think that's always the key for for long-term success Agreed. stay stay relevant stay stay true and, and do something meaningful and the social media—I don't know if I will ever understand it. Uh, and some, it, it can be helpful, but uh, yeah.
1: I think it's really helpful at certain for certain things, but I, I the negative side of it, it just baffles mm-hmm. me. Especially going back to thinking about what our industry was in the beginning, where everybody was so supportive of each other, and and we all there were always people that disagreed, right? But there wasn't mm-hmm. this weird social place to put it out there and just say horrible random stuff
0: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. anyway I haven't seen as much random awful stuff as I have in the past so that makes me a little bit happy and I'll stay in my bubble I'm happy there
2: right
0: (laughs) did you feel like when you were coming up with the magazine Connie that you had any mentors in the coffee industry or like people that really helped you
1: besides Mike from SCA? Yeah, I mean, Mike was at SCA then. And and I think, you know, and I, again, I go back to like the way things were, used to be. And I still have all these amazing friends in coffee. But like, you know, like Mike and my kids were the same age. Like we would see each other and our kids would play. And, you know, those indes- those relationships that I had around the time When the magazine started they they might not have they gave me the confidence to do to put the magazine out there Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing that was very crucial in the beginning is to have the advertising support to pay for it and it was interesting when i started the magazine i made a list of people who i thought would advertise based on my connections from fresh cup, cause I was their advertising salesperson for six years. So they, so many people, again, based on relationships, you know, and mm-hmm. so I made this list and I would say probably about half of the list actually advertised. And then there was this whole other section of people that were there to support the roasting community that were not my customers. And to me, that was amazing. And you know, I think, I think there were probably about, we, I just looked at this number. There are probably about 10 advertisers that have advertised in every single issue of Roast for 20 years. Wow. And to me, that's just amazing because that means, and, and in the beginning in the first issue, I probably only had 25 advertisers, you know? So the support from, from people financially and friendship definitely drove everything in the beginning. And then I also, before I worked for Fresh Cup, I worked for a small magazine publisher in Southern California. And I have to give credit to to that company because it was a small publisher. My editor's name was Patty Dunn, and she was my mentor. I mean, I feel like she really understood the magazine, small business publishing, Mm -hmm. and she helped me lay out what it looked like to manage and run a magazine. And I basically just took that, and kept going. And then, of course, I learned a lot at Fresh Cup, too. And then I learned about the coffee industry. So, yeah, I would say my friends in the coffee industry were definitely, you know, part of my peer and mentor group. Someone's name that we don't hear very often, but Ted Lingle was also very Mm -hmm. supportive Mm -hmm. of the magazine. And I didn't have a very strong relationship with him. We knew each other. But when he found out I was doing the magazine, we were at an event, and he actually came and got me and he like was introducing me around the room to people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And he was telling people what I was doing. So that, that always remains a a really positive memory um, for me. And everybody was just, I mean, really supportive, you know, that's why it's still here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It sounds like community has been a big part of the success of roast is huge. Thinking about today, how would someone build community within the coffee industry?
1: Well, I think, I mean, for me personally, from being from an older age group, it's hard for me to understand building those relationships via social media. I don't understand how people do that at all. But I can understand, like, building relationships, you know, if you can't go to an in-person event. Like, I I do have relationships Mm. that I've built. Via email, right? And then you finally meet that person and you're like, oh, yeah, you feel already acquainted with them. But I still, me personally, I still am very event in person oriented. And I still feel like when I go to events, it's my goal to meet as many people as I can. And I always make it my goal to walk away with one or two new quote unquote best friends every event I go to. And I feel like that continually builds my, you know, my community. And it also helps cross over, you know, the the old timers and the new people coming in. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy as it once was, I feel. But I still feel like in-person is the way to go. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why we want to make sure that we have Rose Summit in person. Even though it's small, it's a way for people to you know, gather together. And, you know, I can't encourage people enough to try to be as outgoing as you can, as I know not everybody is as outgoing as I am. Go there and, and make your goal of meeting one person that you take away as your friend that in a few weeks you can call and say, or, um, you know, you can connect with and say, what are you doing this week? Or I have this problem. How are you work through this? I, that's how I would tell people to build community. If you don't put yourself out there, you can't build community.
2: How do you deal with the international aspect? Because it's it, that's something the, the industry has gone through, right? Now we are we it's not only the US.
1: <laughs> it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. If we talk about segments, let's talk about Asia first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Asia is a little. I mean, parts of Asia are easier for us. We have Rose Magazine in Korea, mm-hmm. and we have um, we had Rose Magazine in China, but it didn't make it through COVID. Mm-hmm. But I also had its own issues i mean china's gigantic so trying to like figure out how to move the magazine and create you know just brand your own brand there is so hard it was really hard japan's a little bit easier because it's small you know we have a great following there because of our educational um, uh, editorials and then i think europe is really hard you know, we have a lot of readers in Europe. We have a lot of people that buy our books in Europe. But the shipping aspect of it, it's just really hard. So we have some great partners there that we've been working through, and that's been helpful. Um, we work through Roast Rebels. I don't know if you know their company, but they've been great. So they um, they distribute some of our books there, and that's been mm-hmm. really helpful. But going, like, going to the trade shows there – it's hard. Like, again, I feel like an outsider in my own industry because you don't know all the players anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's always, it's a good challenge for me. Like, I like that. Again, I go and try to meet as many people as I can. Obviously, we're there to introduce the, the you know, introduce people to Roast Magazine if they don't know it. Luckily, when we go... People passing by the booth at these events, they do know the magazine already. So that's Mm -hmm. amazing, right? People are Mm -hmm. at least understand who we are and what we do. And sometimes they have never seen it. So it's important for us to do, you know, as many European shows, shows outside of the US as we can to keep building our brand internationally, because as we both said, that's, I mean, there's a giant area of growth outside the U.S. And it is hard because we don't have offices around the globe. So we're just, you know, trying to do it organically from here. And it's hard. It's a giant world out there.
2: Yes, it's big. Yeah, I know. Uh, in terms of content, do you translate some of the content? Some Is it some of the content local?
1: So if we use our Korean version as an example, mm-hmm. they translate. The exact articles in roast, but then they add their own local content mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. so it it provides that higher level education as well as their local aspect, and they do an amazing job i I do believe they're your partner too, correct mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, they're an amazing group of people. I've been partners mm-hmm. with them since twenty eleven I think
2: yeah.
1: uh, a long time, so um, they do a splendid job of. Mm-hmm. Um, producing the magazine for Korea,
2: so yeah. there's some level of editorial uh, work uh, locally. Correct, and then and then you have the global like, education and the, the main articles here. They're being translated
1: exactly, and they they blend it all together seamlessly.
2: And that's that's only the case in in Korea, or is is that also in other other
1: parts? Well, we actually so China went away. Mm -hmm. in covid and also our spanish edition went away in covid which breaks my heart because Mm -hmm. um, people there loved it yeah it
2: was amazing it was cool
1: yeah and i mean to be able to provide the content you know in spanish was it was huge for us and huge for the reader right but we don't Mm -hmm. have the capacity from here to produce another magazine even if we hired a whole nother team again Mm -hmm. you have that same problem with the international shipping and it just, we managed it ourselves for a little while and it just was, it didn't work as well as it worked when you had someone in country mm-hmm. or in the region. Maybe someday we can have another partner and try it again. But during COVID it was just too hard.
2: That's definitely that, that and that I always um, I admired it. And, and I think that was also part of our success. The U.S. is just a very massive homogeneous from 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 a shipping and doing business perspective right you have one phone number you have one bank account you have one shipping rate you have one so there's there's all those things you can do and cater to a massive market and then you go to Europe and you want to ship something from Austria to Germany. It's like, oh, international shipment. It's like, this is European Union. <laughs> Got better. I'm a little bit overcritical, but uh, but still it is it is a hurdle because you are tax rates are different and it's not as integrated.
1: Yeah, it felt like 10 years ago, it was much more doable. <clears throat> you know, the shipping <clears throat> rates were reasonable. And I will say maybe they weren't high enough. I don't know. But it just feels like... You know, through COVID, a lot of things really changed. And it just, ev- the shipping aspect of it just became so expensive.
2: To Europe, you ship from the US?
1: We ship the magazine, mm-hmm. but now our books are sold exclusively through mm-hmm. Roast Rebels. Right. And he prints, they print them there.
2: Oh, amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: And again, that shipping rate from the US has changed.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's to mail a book of roast from here is probably at least 60 70 dollars
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah it's more than half the cost of the book. yes yeah. so it's not it's not feasible anymore and the same it's the same with asia you know mm-hmm. central america is a little south america is a little cheaper but yeah it's pretty much cost prohibitive these days to mail outside of the u.s mm-hmm. and then you never know if it's even going to get there so then we have to resend it sometimes and then that's a whole thing and Canada, thank you, Canada. Canada's still okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> love the neighbors to the north. Right. And and in terms of magazine, that ships globally.
1: That ships globally. Yeah. Well, that's easier. It's, a, it's easier. It has magazines have their own magazine rate, but that also has increased dramatically
2: so it comes it comes to question and i know you have it right you have an online version of of roast i always yeah. receive the emails of course <laughs> where, where do you think the, is the future going there is, is will magazines be able to jump onto a digital format and i know you have the these the data coffee news right which i also I appreciate every day um as, a, as an email format well, where's the limitation there where do you think it's like ah? Oh, Well, of course, I
1: would say that's the number one question that I get from within our industry, from outside of our industry, from friends. It's like, oh, how can you do a magazine, a printed magazine still? I will say that our digital edition has grown significantly outside of the U.S. because of the shipping problems. And we also offer it at a much cheaper price because we can, you know, it's delivered, you know, very easily, no problems. And it's not $70, you know, Mm -hmm. to deliver but I think one thing about Roast that we do very well and we will, you know, continue to keep the magazine at this level is again our editorial is very technical in nature and those people still have trouble reading highly technical information via digital formats. Right? You can't read a full Roast magazine article on your phone. And the people that do, I give them credit cuz I can't even fathom the idea of that seems awful but people tell us the you know the reason that they still subscribe is that they love the feel they love the way it looks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they associate you know a high level brand with receiving it and again that editorial is there to draw them in and it's much easier to consume that editorial via hard copy than it will ever be to try to read it digitally
2: hmm. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. And when people when, you know, all the digital stuff started, it's like, oh, there will be no books anymore. And there will be no newspapers anymore. And, you know, it's not true. It, it, it's a challenging time for some outlets, for sure. So I'm not saying it's it. nothing has changed. But uh, people still like to read books. And as you say, the technical content or certain certain aspects and I still like to read the newspaper sometimes when I, when I have time on a, on a, you know, drinking a coffee, it it is a different experience.
1: Yeah. And there's still, you know, there are some of the larger magazine formats I feel like have, you know, dropped their printed edition, but their model is so different and it's so Mm -hmm. hard to make money selling it that way on the newsstand because there's a whole um, there's a whole distribution channel on the newsstand that makes it like we could never afford to sell that way mm-hmm. because of the, the distribution model for newsstand magazine sales. But I think, you know, you, we we're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, very small market niche magazines like roast, they're still starting. And I think mm-hmm. one of the main drivers for success is the way they look and feel. You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to pick up, you know, the old term for trade magazines was a rag. Nobody wants to pick that up. Nobody wants to pick up some, you know, janky looking newspaper thing um, that represents a trade industry, right? There's no reason that we need that anymore either, right? We have all these, you know, amazing outlets um, digitally and in print too. hmm Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I love the feel of Roast
0: Magazine, the paperweight, as well as, like, as someone who still highlights things. It's not glossy. Oh, right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it's not so glossy where it'll get on the other page, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, looking past, you guys, or looking forward, you guys are going to celebrate 20 years next year. Are you planning any fun events?
1: You know, we'll do a lot of branding celebration during SEA, uh, at Expo. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking about trying to have a party, but it's just so big in Chicago, so big and hard. I don't know if we'll be able to pull it off, but, uh, if we don't have a party at Expo, we'll certainly like be partying at our booth and we'll have lots of celebrations there. And then we're just, you know, trying to celebrate all year long in terms of what a great accomplishment it's been. And, um, where, where we go next how we keep doing what we do and just continuing to raise the bar and be part of this community
2: but you know who always likes a good party it's the crops to people so <laughs> <laughs> we'll come and I mean, party with you <laughs> and that's it that's it I remember the times when Rose magazine party was the best party during SCA Aww. it was the biggest wildest and just a, a, an absolutely half uh, must go to and it was like this with roaster skilled together i believe at some yep. point and it was
1: roaster skill and roast magazine and that's yeah. what made it possible
2: well we'll so. need to find a way but uh yes uh, no i, I think that maybe it'll be
1: a roast cropster party
2: maybe exactly that's what i'm saying um and i think it's it's one of those ways to to get community together i met amazing people at those parties uh the parties were good Um, early on the parties went more wild later on and uh, you Mm -hmm. could choose you know you stay and uh, i made i made great deals at those parties i i I don't know i have really fond memories of of those well i
1: i feel the same way i feel like losing some of those events was it's really detrimental to our community Mm -hmm. so maybe we can bring them back
2: yes yes i think we should. Oh, cool! an amazing milestone. Connie, congratulations! Honestly, twenty years is a long time, and um, I know Rose is uh, going strong. So we we are very happy about that, and very happy that you bring and brought that uh, magazine and that uh, that format to the industry. Um, so thank you for that. Well, mm-hmm.
1: thank you because without yeah. all the support from our advertising partners, we wouldn't be here. So without you, we wouldn't be here. Um, but it's been it's a, again I'm just thankful every day that I get to do this job it's the community is amazing uh, putting together a magazine is so much fun um, and I look forward to the next 20 years
2: yes, <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today Connie and for our listeners we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Coffee and Technology Podcast To learn more about Cropster, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. For more educational content, go to cropster.com forward slash learn.
2: All right, until next time.